0: The young people of the country have made a song called Numb Little Bugs, the number one song. We need to talk about it. There's also now a Southern Baptist Speaker of the House. I got a lot to say about that on The True Act Show. One of the smarter people I've gotten to interact with because of the show once made that point to me that I've made to you many times, that it's just odd that Baptists have for a long time been the largest denomination but when you start looking at the centers of power governors legislators congress people senators judges the Baptists are nowhere to be found it's catholics and it's presbyterians it's anglicans he made the very good point that i've copied for years now that's just because too many baptists didn't concentrate on education formal education uh, but now that long streak has been broken there is a Southern Baptist Speaker of the House. We'll start there in just a minute, and then probably is just two things today, because I have a lot to say here at the top. Uh, we're going to talk about a song that your young people in your church, and your life, have apparently liked well enough to make it number one on the Billboard charts, and it is it is indicative of the culture where we live. It's not good. So I'm not talking about artistically. I guess it's cute and fine artistically. Uh, but the message there needs to be interacted with, and we will do all of that and maybe a little more on this week Corey Truax Show. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here wherever you find podcasts, among many other things, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church at ten thirty on Sunday mornings as their pastor for teaching. Now I won't be doing that this Sunday. Me and my wife are going away for one to celebrate our one year anniversary. That went by quickly. I guess time flies when you're having fun. Probably next week I'll have a reflection on one year of marriage. Because I will say this, marriage is awesome. I got to officiate one for the first time by myself over the weekend for a, a good friend. Congratulations to Emily and Colby on that, uh, on on their wedding and that marriage that was inaugurated. It was awesome, sweet, good time. Uh, I think. What else do I want to tell you before I get started? Oh yeah, I suspect maybe what I'm all the things I'm about to say might generate responses from you. And if there are responses to be generated, you can get me at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or threads. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. You can also email the show at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. I got a good email from Aiden that I want to wait for next week as I'm already compiling content for that. But this first topic is going to take me a little while, so let's get to it. Mike Johnson of Louisiana is your Speaker of the House of Representatives. It's not important to itemize how we got there. We got there as a country. There was just not a speaker for, I think it was 20 days. And finally, there was some coalescing around this 51-year-old man who comes from a Southern Baptist background. He's an attorney. There was widely circulated uh, pictures of him praying in the, in the well of the house before, I guess, becoming speaker or taking whatever oath he has to take. And uh, for the reaction thereof... Brought reactions from me, at least responses. The actual news of it, the person in the news of it, uh, I've I've reported it. You've seen it. I don't have much else to say. Again, that's one of the structures of the show. We try not to talk about just the person or the event, but the ideas that undergird it. And so, great, awesome. It's a it's good to have a Christian speaker of the house. I believe this man's a brother, the best I can tell from listening to some episodes of his podcast. Because everyone has a podcast. Listen to some of his. I think he's a dispensationalist. I don't think he's a covenantal guy like I am. Don't think he's a reformed guy like I am. I believe he's a brother. He's just not from my theological tribes. But it's good. It's good to have a speaker of the house that is a believer in Jesus, has familiarity with the Scriptures, even said in his acceptance, or whatever it's called, accepted speech, that all the people there were ordained by God to be there. That's something good for all of us to hear as we rant and rave about governments. For sometimes blessing and sometimes cursing, everyone in that house is supposed to be there. Sometimes, I guess mostly for cursing, that would be my take, but he has said some theologically sound things there. But it brought up some questions, some reactions from others, and now I want to respond to the reactions. One, let's talk about the Christian nationalism claims. Immediately. The left in the media, that's the same thing really. Go nuts a little bit. We've elected a, a Christian nationalist to the Speaker of the House. I don't want to spend much time on their on their worries. that's of course it's hard to even know what a Christian nationalist is. That's what the left just going to do. Try to create panic basically, if you're a Christian, to them, you're a threat, so I don't really want to talk about them. I did notice that on twitter the folks that i don't know why twitter keeps putting them in my feed they're people that i find very objectionable but the very public and loud christian nationalists yeah that's what we are we're christian nationalists they are excited about it they would say yes the the lord has been good to give us a christian nationalist as speaker of the house i want to push on that especially if if i have a christian audience That probably listens to other Christian things. Maybe you follow or see in your feeds some of the same things I see, which is some of it is Christians celebrating. I've already said it's good. Christians celebrating that there's a Christian speaker of the house. Now, my celebration terminated on this thought. It's good that someone with familiarity to scripture is going to to be speaker. That's good that those values will be available to him. Now, those celebrating, we've got a Christian nationalist. Isn't it great? I just want to push on that and ask, so what? I think it's very funny that the people who seem obsessed with having government power, who are mostly g- going to be covenantalists in reform circles, that your your Christian nationalist is a dispensationalist who doesn't agree with you on a lot of your eschatology and how you, th- how you, th- how you think things will go. So, I, again, I, I, I think I say it this way. So what? Like, do you think you have your theonomy now? I, can't, I cannot stand the uh, the phrase that these guys use, that we need a Christian prince. Guys, we don't live in that system. He's a speaker. He's got one vote in that house. He's got some influence now. It's good. It's good that a Christian has influence in government. I hope you know how our, our system works. It doesn't mean a lot that he's there. He's got a four-seat majority. His opposition has the Senate and the presidency. What do you think it means? Yeah, I don't want to take it from you that it's good but there's some some triumphalism here that I I hope will bring some people crashing down. I hope some people see the fecklessness of political power through this. Woohoo! You got yourself a Jesus-loving speaker. Now, do you think you're going to get much from it? No, because you don't live in that country. Thank God. Thank God you don't live in that country where the appointment of one person can change a lot of stuff. That's a terrifying country. There's a little bit of a I hope it's a wake-up call. that You're, you're not, not going to get a bunch of good stuff now. And I hope that can bring some balance to this desire for political power. It's good. We want Christians to have influence and power, but our system is so spread out, you can't do a lot with it. So you might you might want to be looking for another strategy to, to concentrate on. Not give up on this strategy, but to give most of your efforts to some other strategy besides government. There's a little bit of a uh, uh, the What's it called? That illustration is the dog actually caught the car he was chasing. All right, you got it. Now what are you going to do with it? He still must govern lawfully. He, he He's going to end up negotiating bills you don't like. I don't exactly know why so many people hate funding uh, a war in Ukraine. I don't like funding it to the tune that we have. I don't like the rest of the world does not pitch in the same way we do. And I would argue we're not in the financial situation to be pitching in at the level that we are. But for those that just hate it, like they're just fired up, hate funding the war in Ukraine, you know you're going to fund it, right? He's not stopping that. He's going to negotiate less uh, a a increase in spending, but you know you're going to get an increase in spending. You're not going to get a big tax bill. He's not going to restore order and Christian thinking, and that's not how it works. We, we don't live in that system where you just get political power and then you get to do Christian things. This leads me to a point that I want to make about some talkers that are, have a much bigger footprint than mine. That I, th- I think that the ones that put too much put too much emphasis on political power that I, I want to critique one of the words they use and the tone they use. I want to quickly diffuse one uh, quick thing. Uh, the super smart and Jesus-loving, godly guy that I just I just love, that we do our post-mill project together, Cody Fields and I did not have a disagreeable back-and-forth on Twitter about this, so I want to make sure, Cody, who listens, that you know I'm not talking about you, brother. Huge fan of yours, all the work you do. I was thinking about this before our interchange, about the word tyranny. That the word tyranny, in my estimation... You can disagree with me. I'd like to hear why, if you think you have a good case. I don't think that's a that's helpful language, and too many Christians with audiences use it. Too many of the Christian nationalists, which I will not call myself, not just because I think it's a talk; it's, it's become toxicified, but because the people who wear it are not doing it correctly. They're just they they seem obsessed with all the wrong things. But the. The folks that live in that world use the word tyranny for our system of government sometimes, and I want to—I want to I say—I just think that's—I think they're wrong, and I want to give you my case why. I'll back up two steps. I equate using the, the term tyranny. That if you're an American, you live under tyranny. The same that it's the same way I think about people that talk about what happened on January sixth as an insurrection. In the denotative sense, you're correct. The word insurrection just means a, a violent attempt to overthrow. Now, yeah, they were violent, and you could argue that some of the motivations of those people was to overthrow a government. Now, to act like it was an attempted coup, I think is insane. To act like it was any real threat is crazy. What was What was the plan? So you put your feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Now what? What were their plan of these people? They were never a threat. So when you call it an insurrection, are you denotatively correct? Sure. But is the nature of that term the thing you're trying to communicate that the democracy itself was at danger? No. No. You're trying to communicate that, and that's false. And denotatively, tyranny, I think the, the dictionary definition is just to live under malevolent government, bad government, that, uh, that, that has ill will towards its people. Yeah, sure. Okay, fine. You live under tyranny, but only in the denotative sense. The, the guys, let's talk about that. Guys, you're talking about tyranny on your podcasts that are, that are generated and distributed to tens of thousands, some of you hundreds of thousands of people. That doesn't happen in tyrannical systems, but guys. You're going to go vote soon. That doesn't happen in tyrannical systems. Now, I guess, denotatively, is your government malevolent and bad? Yeah, it's malevolent and bad. But the thing you're trying to communicate is not, it's not true. We if we are tight, ty- if we're under a tyranny, we are the tyrants. We choose our leaders here. You might be under the tyranny of ignorance, the tyranny of your fellow man because they are so ungodly, because they are so clueless. I I fear what that communicates to people. You live under tyranny. That's going to give me I'm talk- me, I think I'm a pretty typical person. I'm not special. That gives me two reactions. If I live under oppressive tyranny, I'm going to want to fight and do something violent, or I'm going to want to quit. Well, if I'm under this tyranny, what hope do I have? I mean and some of the things they, they complain about and talk about, you live under tyranny because you're taxed, okay? Can you, can you help me find out when that, like I'm taxed at much too high a rate. I agree with you. Are we going to get together and decide a 10% tax rate? That wouldn't be tyranny, but 11% would be. 20% definitely is, but 5% wouldn't be. And what what grounds do you have to make that claim? There's, and, and we we cl- we complain, if, if we can just have some, if we can have some perspective here, I'm not calling the tax system just. I'm not, it's, it's not. What we're complaining about the, the system of taxation in a world where we are very relatively wealthy. Now, our relative wealth doesn't mean the system's right. It doesn't mean it's just. I am saying that this seething feeling of being under tyranny isn't appropriate. I see that a little, the other analogy. One analogy was the insurrection thing. Are you using the word technically correctly, insurrection and tyranny? Yeah, technically, but I think you're importing a lot of meaning you shouldn't import. It's with some of the guys I see on Twitter. I feel about them the same way I felt about some folks in 2020 in that summer. Folks in 2020, the summer of 2020, on Twitter made it seem like we just live in a racist hellscape. That every rock and tree and leaf and cloud was just a racist is a racist hellscape. And I wanted to say to those people, you're not living rightly. Like you're not seeing it rightly. You, you are living in a fantasy. And over and over here, like we're that we're under. Like, I, just, I don't know, maybe this is because I'm a student of history and I'm just thinking about North Korea and Iran. Think about Russia even now, not the old Russia. I think about China even now. Yeah, we have bad things. You have a malevolent government, but I don't know what good it's going to do to tell everybody you're, un- you're living under tyranny. I understand there is a uh, caveat in COVID. There was a lot of petty tyranny. I agree with that in COVID. That's largely over. And I'm I not even saying you forget that. That could be adjudicated. That's a whole other topic. Just largely, I I'll see if I can pull this all together. Speaker of the House gets elected, and I go, "Cool, having a Christian there." And then I see all the celebrations from people who call themselves Christian nationalists, and I, I don't, I don't get, I don't get it. Maybe that's what one of you can do. You can help me get it. I don't get the cel- your celebration. Like you didn't, you're not going to get all the stuff you want now. That's not how your system works. And it seems like because you think the system is more tyrannical than it is, that you could just get someone elected, put them in the right place, and he's going to start doing all the stuff you want. And so you think you live then under this oppressive, tyrannical system that, again, it's not good. I'm not justifying the system. I'm saying maybe it's not as a hellscape as you think it is. I think we'd all do well. I think it's part of just growing up. We'd all do well not to use hyperbole. We'd all do well put everything in perspective. In perspective doesn't change the rightness and wrongness of things. Example, the fact that bad junk, worse junk is happening in China doesn't mean what's happening here is good. But it does change how I react to it. It does change my language and how I talk about it. At least it should. There's at least two more things I wanted to say about this. This group that I just keep running into on Twitter. I don't know I don't know why Twitter's doing this to me, but it's putting all the Christian nationalists in front of me 24/7. I should probably just get off Twitter. They seem obsessed with all the wrong things. Like I, I've run into lately what they're most obsessed with is everyone who doesn't take their exact tact is just girly, they're probably gay, and don't forget the crusades were good that slavery in the west could be practiced properly. We definitely want you to make sure you, all of you know that that in the 16 and 1700s when slavery in America that it was possible for a christian to own slaves and do it well. Okay. Great. Let's whew. And then uh, mostly that women need to be at home. That's what we all need to be working towards. These these are the things they're obsessed with. And it is in that world that I want to go interact with one final thing. Like I I feel like this is a big scattershot and I've missed, I have missed my, my fine point. So let me see if I can sum up. I was happy that the Speaker of the House is a Christian. I saw a reaction from Christian nationalist people that just exposed, at least to me, exposed in them some real, just, I want to be charitable and not call it too negative a name, but just some weirdness and some things that I don't understand. And as I continue to interact with them, it makes me want to warn you, this is actually, I think, my biggest point, warn you, that there's just a, a lot of voices to be wary of, a lot of the Christian nationalist voices to just to back off from. Uh, I, in part, because of their priorities. They're just They just seem all wrong. Now, I want to give you one more example of this. And we'll move on. One of these people is named Eric Kahn. This is his tweet that even some of his kindred, got, uh, got on to him about and gave him negative feedback. He, qu- he tweeted, There is no moral obligation to adopt children. Not from the ghetto, not from Sudan, not from Russia. Contra the trendy movement led by Russell Moore and David Platt, the gospel does not require adoption. In fact, it is often unwise and detrimental to do so. Loving your own is natural, not sin. Okay, I think this is what happens in part when you've decided who your bad guys are and you overreact against your bad guys. Again, this is something I talked about last week. Adults respond, children react. There's a bunch of petulant, belligerent, pugilistic young men my age on Twitter who know who their enemies are and then just overreact against them. I want to break that down Line by line here. There's no more obligation to adopt children. That's true. You're not morally obligated to adopt a child. Anyone that would make you feel morally obligated is overstepping their authority and placing on you, uh, placing on your conscience something they do not have the authority to, uh, just to put on you. Then he says, not from the ghetto, not from Sudan, not from Russia. I don't know why those are the places he chose, and I am a person who does tend to refuse. To, I do my best to refuse to assign motives to people, so I'm going to stop there. Then contra, he says, contra the trendy movement led by Russell Moore and David Platt. I don't know why these people hate these people so much. I, I know that I'm supposed to hate Russell Moore. I, I disagree with him a lot now, but I'm not going to hate Russell Moore. I'm not going to. I'll stop there. David Platt, disagree with him on some stuff. He's pastor of a big church in Washington, D.C. used to run the International Mission Board. They seem to hate his guts. They seem to hate his guts because he wrote a book that really, really emphasized the American dream as a problem. I thought that book had some problems too. It was called Radical. came out almost 20 years ago. But it it, it it awakened the church in some ways to stop focusing so much on the accumulation of stuff and recognize that the gospel needs to go to the nations. And then he says, in fact, adoption is often unwise and detrimental. Huh. Yeah, I guess there could be some Families in some situations where adoption would be unwise and detrimental to that family. I guess I want to give a charitable reading to that. This f- finishing here, he says, uh, "Loving your own is natural, not sin." Yeah, loving your own is natural. I think that's to the natural man, both the fleshly man. But I don't, I don't. I wouldn't argue the spiritual man would have to change that. Yeah, you, you should love your own family. I mean, it's one of those just explicit things in James. One of those calls in, I believe that's going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. If not, it's a later uh, lesson from Jesus. No, we, we do love the orphans. And when you say loving your own, yeah, you do love your your family first, extended family, but then church family. And we do love humanity and children who are orphaned. I can't imagine having a negative reaction to orphans getting parents. That seems to be what he what he's got here. He followed up. I sat under Platt and Moore. They pushed hard on adoption and tried to, and tried hard to make it normative. Oh no, Christian leaders tried to make adoption normative. Who would that would be terrible if we made if we made adoption something that Christians should consider when they're in a situation where they where they can do it. And then here here here's him assigning. Motives to them, he says, probably it was their early efforts to make globalism more palatable. All right, so yes, I guess they're part of a a global elite, David Platt and Russell Moore. Globalist conspiracy, that's them. He says, finishes it with, erode natural affection and elevate multiculturalism. That's one of the, he sounds very kinist. I talked about that in the last couple months. Some of these folks seem to be just really all about their people group I'm just telling you there's there's some care to be taken about listening to these people and I understand they're on the, they're on a growth pattern right now some of them are very orthodox I'm going to leave names out for a reason but some of you can read between the lines here there are some of them that I could argue very little with their post-millennialism their theonomy I argue a lot with their nature with how they present I, I think they're unproductive because of it I I want nothing to do with them because of how they present their information, but I wouldn't argue with their doctrine. And those people have pretty good marketing, they're fairly slick and they they are uh, they spend some money on marketing and they're getting their message out there to to the Christian world and they're starting to gather some some attention. But attached to them unfortunately are a bunch of people who are stra- stragglers or hangers on trying to grab that Christian nationalist theonomy post-mill thing, and they are not great folks, guys. They are folks to be careful of. Not just stylistically, that they are just so off-putting, but this this kind of thinking too. Like to basically denigrate one of Christianity's great legacies, that we're the adoption people. That's what this does. He denigrates our great legacy of being the adopter of orphans. I mean, well, I don't know how far down a internet rabbit hole you got to get to find a Christian just telling you, man, that that adoption thing—what a what a scam! All right, we'll tie it all together. Christian speaker of the house, good thing. Thank the Lord. Be realistic. He's one vote out of 435. It's good to have his have his voice there to represent Christian thinking. It doesn't mean you're going to get much of anything. And so maybe that should all tell us pull back some from how much stock we put in politics and even decrease the severity of our language with our current situation and careful who we let influence us and how we think about the the public world. All right, I just, I just had 25 minutes on that. I did not intend, intend it, but man, we, we've got to talk about this other song that your your kids or your grandkids or maybe the world's grandkids and kids have made the number one song. I know we've we've spent so much of the show the last couple years talking about what we just talked about. I think even that Spurgeon quote is good here, uh, not just deciding what is right from wrong, but knowing right from almost right. We've been talking about that in terms of, of the law in politics, but then trying to apply biblical thinking to modern-day laws. That was... One I, heard, one I heard recently in a sermon by one of those people I find objectionable, he actually brought up that parapet law. They hey, put a, rail, a railing around your house so that no one falls off if you're meeting up there. Well, I have a message for you. You might not have been affected by someone denig- or deviating from that law about not having a, a rail on their roof, but you might have had a modern-day equivalent. That would be including getting hurt at work or getting hurt in a car accident because of someone else's negligence. That might be the analog. Those things, getting injured at work or car accidents, have serious consequences. The medical bills are severe. They pile up. You're losing wages. And while all that's happening, you're just trying to recover physically and then trying to navigate the process of getting justice and make it all right. I know that sounds intimidating. I don't want you to be intimidated or scared by it. There are people out there to help you. The one I want you to know about is Samuel Harms. He is in Greenville. He's a personal friend of mine. You can Google him. That's Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. His number is 666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. I have seen people struggle through these things, so make sure you get someone on your side. Samuel Harms is here in Greenville at 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. His number is 66666. So if you have been hurt by the modern-day lack of having a parapet around the roof of someone's home, give him a call, Get, get that process started with him. Don't try to navigate it alone. Samuel Harms, 666, 666, 666. Only one more story. I'm a little nervous about this one because I got a notice from Spotify a couple months ago that they were taking down all my Christmas specials in the past because I had songs on them and I didn't own those songs. They sent me a notice that they took down one of my episodes uh, with a song I had. This is years ago it might have been that Take Me to Church song, but they took down an old episode because I was using someone else's music. I don't even know how they know. I guess that's an algorithm of some sort. Speaking of Cody Fields again, uh, he got a cease and desist letter because of some of the images he used. And I think it was from like the AP, the Associated Press maybe. Like I don't know how they're finding smaller shows like his and mine to go after, but I wish they'd leave me alone. So anyway, this is, uh, I guess, a risk because I'm going to play a song now that does not belong to me. It had... 1 week as the number 1 song on the Billboard charts. I found out about this song because I listen to sermons at the gym. When you're listening to sermons at the gym and your ear, your earbuds, you can kind of hear what's going on outside of there and I heard this song. I was picking up some weird lyrics, so I turned the sermon off and listened to this and was like, is this real? Like this is a, this is a real thing. It is by someone named M Behold. I guess, I guess it's how you say it. I don't know. I'm not young enough to understand. I'm going to play for you this song, some pieces of it, and then we're going to talk about it, in part because it was apparently large enough to make an impact on young people that it was number one song for a week. It's called Numb Little Bug. Here is verse one.
1: I don't feel a single thing Have the pills done too much haven't caught up with my friends in weeks, and now we're out of touch. I've been driving in LA, and the world it feels too big like a floating ball that's bound to break, that my psyche like a twig. And I just want to see if you feel the same eyes of me.
0: That is verse one. Okay, so just overwhelmed. I don't know why our young generation feels so much like that. The world is overwhelming to them. Uh, I've noticed that one of the things they say is it's just too much. And there's not a lot going on, but whatever's going on, it's it's just too much. There is I think I'd found I wanted to read the lyrics. Actually, I'll play it while I pull up the lyrics. I will let you listen to the chorus.
1: Do you ever get a little bit? Like you're not really happy, but you don't want to die Like you're hanging by a thread, but you gotta survive Cause you gotta survive Like your body's in the room, but you're not really there Like you have empathy inside, but you don't really care Like you're fresh out of love, but it's been in the air I'm a past repair
0: Everyone really in a good mood now after that? They could not have a bigger juxtaposition of musical type and message. So let me just break down some of this for this reason. The likelihood is you got young people in your life for this, for some reason, it resonates with them. It doesn't come until the end of the song where she actually calls herself a numb little bug. The rest of the song but I'm not going to play because I've already taken my risk of having this episode taken down. It says the prescriptions are on the way with a name I can't pronounce and the dose I got to take, boy, I wish that I could count. So talking about the drug she's going to have to take, she finishes the song with, do you ever get a little bit tired of life? Like you're not really happy, but you don't want to die. Like a numb little bug that's got to survive. That's got to survive. And then bringing up several times, uh, in the song opening with, I don't feel a single thing. Have the pills done too much? The The world just feels so big. Do you get tired of life? You're not happy, but you don't want to die. Like That, that feeling, I, I don't really know that feeling. This second part of the chorus, like your body's in the room, but you're not really there. No, I guess I don't have that kind of disembodied feeling. I will admit, just as an older guy, I don't get this. I don't understand. Don't understand where they're coming from. The closest I can get to understanding is this generation, even more than my own, grew up in broken family situations. And we weren't made for it. We weren't made to grow up in all these broken homes. And there's a fragility that can get formed or a hardness. I would argue that generations before, like even Gen X, Gen X, is uh, the, they were the first latchkey kids, if you've heard of that, the ones where both parents in mass started going to work so that you had the kid coming home from school, walking home from school, riding home on the bus, and they would come home to an empty home. A lot of Gen X turned that into hardness. Uh, I'm going to take care of myself type of independence, and a fierce independence at that. And it appears that one of the swings, the wild swings then for this group has been in a uh, growing up situation where I didn't feel cared for or looked out for, I'm going to embrace fragility. I'm fragile. Just someone take care of me. I would argue that's in part how you get the people that, I'm one of them that don't like our governmental situation. You get that in part out of a populace who feels like they need to be taken care of. And because they don't feel like a family can take care of them, they'll look to something else, you know, like a government, and ask the government, will you please take care of me? Will you be my dad? Will you be my parental figure? I I play this for you just in part for you to know it's there. Apparently in our churches, maybe not maybe not in mine, but maybe in mine, maybe not in yours, but may, it might be in yours, that one of the things the young folks are wrestling through is feeling fragile, like they could break it any second, there is a, a lot... Got to be cautious and careful here. What we've learned the last couple years is that Generation Z, thats so let's go late teens, early 20s, mid to mid 20s, they're more comfortable than ever of any generation talking about all their diagnoses, all their mental health diagnoses, and all of the meds for that group. It's a high number. A lot of meds sw- swashing around, and I'm not talking for for physical ailments. I'm talking about mental health ailments. They're very open about it. There's some discussions to have there. And I'm not talking about you trying to be a doctor. I'm talking about offering something else. Offering what the, what the Scriptures can offer. That They feel fragile, so let's build them up. And I'm not talking about their self-esteem. I'm talking about trying to build them in the Scriptures, trying to build some spiritual disciplines around them, trying to teach just some of those concepts in the Proverbs, uh, like at church recently, we've been reading uh, one portion of Psalm 119 I believe, it opens with a fairly profound question it's how can a young man keep the Lord's commandments or how can a young man, it might be Prosper's Way For the, I'm having trouble remembering it at the moment but how can young people do well for themselves, and then the answer from the psalmist is, follow the Lord's wisdom, follow the God's law that's in part what they need they feel fragile. It seems I'm picking that up from the song that they're hanging by an it, hanging by a, th- uh, a thread. So what can we do? Let them know we're there. We're got. We got you. If they have broken home situations, the church has you. Then we actually actually have to be present, and then say to them, "You're not fragile. Well, you might be, but in the spirit, in the talents and abilities the Lord's given you, we we can cultivate. We can disciple you. You don't have to be fragile. You can actually be." An incredible contributor, an asset to your family, your church, your community. So let's give them something to do. Let's give them let's point them towards something. Cause this is what the world will offer them. The world's basically offering a happy song to celebrate how weak and fragile they are. Instead, let's say to them, You're not weak, you're not fragile in the Lord. We're not gonna celebrate weakness and victimhood and fragility. We're gonna celebrate that the Lord has given you talents and skills and abilities, and here's some discipline you're going to need. To cultivate those and become all that you can be, that's I think what we can offer back to these folks. All right, I think that's all I want to do uh, next week. Good. Give you the teaser. Next week, Aiden sent me a an email with a link. that I haven't been able to look through all the way yet, but I think it's a like a, a leaflet brochure called "Our Daughters and the Transgender Craze: Responding with Grace and Truth." A, seems to be a good resource that we might be able to to learn from, and then the New York Times published this week that by 2050, the world will be 25% African. When I was born, it was 8%. 8% of the world lived in Africa. 25% of me were living in Africa, likely before I die. I, I plan on living till 2050, and there's some implications for the church there in theological education that we need to, to think about if we are going to be the people that are thinking about the world a 1,000 years from now and how it's going to look and what it's going to think, so I want to do those next week. But for now, we are finished. If you want to respond to me, I'm open to it. I, ho- I hope, despite my attitude and tone, that you know I can be disagreed with. I don't want to be the people that I so dislike on Twitter, so di- so disagreeable. So if you have thoughts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads, messages are good there, or uh, Show at gmail, gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, if you have any responses or stories or topics that you think need to be covered. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey True Act Show next week. Until then everybody, peace and love.